A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. Welcome to the White Lotus Podcast, where the Lorehounds, your guides to your Italian dream vacation. I'm John. And I'm David. And this is our wrap-up podcast for Season 2 of The White Lotus on HBO. In this episode, we're going to talk about our overall feelings and final thoughts on Season 2, and then we're going to take some listener feedback. The White Lotus at thelorehounds.com email address is going to stay active, and we'll use it again for Season 3. In the meantime, you can keep talking White Lotus with us over at the Bald Move Discord. Link is in the show notes and at baldmove.com. We have a well-moderated server and dedicated channel set up for the White Lotus. Each episode is siloed, so you can join the conversation at any time without fear of spoilers. A quick reminder about our Patreon. If you like what we're doing and you'd like to support us directly, check us out at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. For just three bucks a month, you get ad-free versions, early access, and more. Of course, you can still get our ad-supported podcast on our Lorehounds feed by searching for us on your podcast application of choice. Let's take our last dive, David, into the Ionian Sea. Well, we still can. John, before we go, I just wanted to, you know, let you know that I, I wanted you to have a, a perfect Italian dream podcast. Oh, God. Um, but I've got some stuff I gotta it's over. do. <laughs> it's over. It's been a sweet run. Well, David, it was a sweet run. So what were your final thoughts on season two of The White Lotus? Well, um, a lot, actually. And I think what we'll do is we've got a lot of, we've got a very, very hefty email bag. Everyone was really generous with writing into us. We even scraped some stuff off the uh, the Discord. Um, and there's been some great Discord conversations happening in the last couple of days, even though the show's been done for about a week. The conversation's still rolling and people are still taking different bits apart and talking about their theories and fan, you know, favorite stuff. So... Mike White has a vice grip on the bald move community. He does. He really does. And people were really into it this season. Um, so what we're going to do, I think, is we'll use a bunch of the emails as a jumping off point to get into some of the more deeper topics. But I think for me, there are two things. Oh, and I'll say this too. You probably hear my voice. I've got a little bit of a cold. I get a little, I've got a little bit of that um, uh, holiday cheer that's going around. If you got kids in school, <laughs> you know what I mean. Uh, I'm fine, though. We'll be good. And, uh, but you'll probably hear it in my voice uh, throughout the recording. Anyway, two things I really wanted to touch on here, and we'll get into more in the feedback, is one of the things that I really liked about this season was that m what Mike White was laying down 
was very different than a lot of shows of this kind and caliber. I felt that like season one was very much a morality play. Like we were seeing different sort of avatars of different virtues and vices playing out and sort of seeing what comes of it. And there was, I, I felt like there was a lot of judgment. I was doing a lot of judging a lot of the characters in season one. In season two, this was almost more of a black humor, you know, it definitely had a sort of a dark humor to it, but it, it was much more of a slice of real life. You know, there, I, I don't, I'm not walking away with any Cinderella lessons learned. There's no sort of karmic balance in the world is righted itself. I just think the show was very honest in that people do shitty things and have shitty things done to them. And then you muddle your way through it. You try and regain some sense of self. And then you just try and carry on with life and, and make a pastiso, you know, weave some sort of fabric, you know, around what happened or what you did or, or, or what you were part of in circumstantially. And I really think that when we look at who Mike, Mike White is as a writer, where he came from, where he grew up, his personal family history, which he's very open to talking about. And you hear it in a lot of interviews and read it in, in a lot of um, uh, written interviews as well. You know, he's, his father um, was a closeted homosexual who worked for uh, particular religious affiliations that were actively against homosexuality. Wow. And, you know, Pasadena in the 70s, growing up, this sort of California middle-class lifestyle with uh, just lots going on. And I, I really think that Mike has... And then, of course, yeah, we know that he, you know, he was on The Amazing Race, he was on Survivor. So he's really brought around this very interesting group of personal circumstances and life history stuff, and being a very, very much a product of um, American culture writ large, right? And in this season of television for the White Lotus, and, and, and different from last season, this season, I just did not feel like I was judging any of the characters. I may have liked or disliked the characters, but I wasn't necessarily like, oh, Cam you know, Cameron's bad or Cameron's good. It was just like, wow, Cameron's an interesting guy and Harper's an interesting you know, gal and you know, Valentina and me and Lucia. And everybody had different interesting facets that I, could, I really felt entranced by, even if I, I'd never hang out with Cameron. He's not my type of friend. But I was still fascinated by his character, and I really appreciate how Mike White brought these storylines forward without us, you know, having to feel like we're finger wagging or tisk tisk tisking or anything like that. But it was just like it was very real in a, in a lot of senses. I think that we're very quick, especially in the real world, to define someone based on the worst thing they ever did, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that this show kind of forces you to say, hey, Harper is a person who helps victims all the time. Right. And one time she made a mistake and almost slept with another guy and cheated on her husband. Right. And that does not undo all the positive work she's done in the world. Right. People can be good people and make mistakes. Yeah. And people can have a net positive impact on the world and also do some terrible things. Right. And Mike is challenging us to make that connection. And I think that, for me, when I'm summing up the season, 
Like, what did we get from this season of television? We certainly got some great conversations, <laughs> right? We got to examine a whole bunch of deep and complex issues and talk about them in a, in a kind of a lighthearted way. Some of the stuff that actually is a little bit sticky and, and uncomfortable. Um, I was entertained. I, I had a great time watching this. I was engaged. Um, and it wasn't like I was at a, a passive engagement. I think that's one of the cool things about the whole podcast ecosystem around television shows, and, and particularly like if you have forums or discords or however a community might chat. We've had some great conversations with people like scattered all over the world, literally, uh, about um, and then getting the feedback and then sharing that feedback with our listeners. So we were real, we were all really engaged in this topic, you know, everything from a, a simple entertainment level to dealing with real issues. And we got to do it all while watching some great acting, some great dialogue and script writing, a beautiful location, a, a different place in life. So like, yeah, for me, like this is really why um, this season of television ranked so high in my uh, will rank so high in my top 2020 uh, podcasts for the year, 2022 podcasts for the year. Yeah, I had a great time with it, too. I, I mean, obviously, we were entertained. We were joking around all season. We kept it light. Uh, we were having some good fun in the Discord, like you said. But also, I think that this was a great example of sort of the positive way to subvert tropes and expectations Yes, that rises so far above the level of things like Game of Thrones, where mm -hmm. they were just like, oh, how can we do the craziest thing that you just wouldn't expect? Right. Right. And I think they did that in Lost, too, like things like that. Like, right. how do we get ahead of the internet? Right. Whereas I think Mike White says, okay, what would these characters do if put in these interesting situations? Not necessarily, how do I get them into those situations? Mm -hmm. And that was fascinating to watch because I felt like watching Ethan go nuts was a natural yes. reaction to everything I've been told about him at that point. Yes. He was you know, someone who never really had a girlfriend. And then every time he liked a, a woman, he, uh, Cameron would come in and, and, and sort of cut into any kind of uh, romantic desires that he had. And then he finally has this wife and he's finally successful and Cameron's still doing it. And it just made sense why after all this and after all the fighting and all the uncomfortableness around what happened the night with Mia and Lucia, He's going to go nuts that night, and it's not going to be this random thing like, I don't know, if you won a war, but you decided to burn the city that you conquered. I don't know if there was a show that did that, like Game of Thrones. <laughs> it's not like this random moment of going crazy. It is something that was like, oh, God, this guy hasn't slept in two days, and he has hit after hit on his ego, and he just wants to be right, and we're watching him right. come to that natural conclusion. Yeah. There was this, um, there's this writer on the original Star Trek, I believe, and I believe his name was Bob Justman. And I've talked about this a couple of times on, on uh, other podcasts, Andor and uh, Lord of the Rings, I think maybe. And, you know, I, and I keep coming back to this, and I probably will continue to, to come back to this throughout my podcasting career, that one of the tests that you can apply to a good television show is are the characters acting from their motivation or are they acting from the motivation of the writer? Are they acting to check off plot points 
and to move a story in position, or are they doing things that would be natural for them? So for Ethan to be in that kind of rage is a very natural thing for him, you know, to do, like you were saying. Yeah. And I felt like Mike really, with all the characters, made them very believable, very real in some ways. I mean, certainly Tanya was the most sort of flamboyant of them all, but like she was still sort of grounded, right? Like in, in, in reality, what well, we see somebody, we might have known somebody who was not dissimilar. And so that to me is just excellent writing and excellent storytelling is when you, you wind up all these characters and set them in motion and then see what happens. And I really felt like we got that organically. So that kind of brings me to my other point, which was, this was an ending that was deeply unsatisfying, and yet it was a great ending. Okay, say more. I think that we are so used to plot lines being tied up in a bow, especially on anthology series where this was the end of the story, right? Like, we don't have a season two of this, of this cast, of this hotel. This is the story of these different guests. And yet... We don't know what happens to Harper and Ethan next. We don't know what happens to the DeGrassos next. We just have to observe the patterns that Mike White has put out for us and say, hey, isn't it interesting how they all acted? And isn't it interesting how nobody learned anything, but maybe they're more of their authentic self after this week? Mm -hmm. I think that that's fascinating. And I think that I want to see more shows, Mm -hmm. more media in general, choose to avoid happy endings yes you know like choose to avoid neatly wrapping everything up exactly cinderella story they lived happily ever after and there's no tomorrow and i brought up the kurt vonnegut shapes of stories last time like people love a cinderella story especially in america right whereas actually if you look at um you know english fantasy like joe abercrombie Uh ends up being like way darker in the endings because people don't expect that happy ending as much. Right. And even things like The Office, like The American Office wraps up very nicely in the end. Does the British Office really? No, it kind of just ends, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just kind of the way of things in, in different cultures. And, and I think that Americans are finally starting to go, huh, wouldn't it be interesting if things didn't just work out? Well, I mean, after a couple of decades of having crap shoveled at us, uh, maybe yeah. we're finally getting to the point. I mean, I am um, of, of a generation where television was um, a constant companion for us. And we watched a lot of television from early childhood all the way through middle school, high school. And I've watched thousands of hours of uh, different Strokes and Three's Company and The Love Boat and Fantasy Island and Laverne and Shirley. So you're lucky. You can actually watch these shows you grew up on. You know what I grew up on? Like Roseanne and The Cosby Show. I can't watch those anymore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, even those, right? You know, the 26, uh, you know, episode season that was just, they just shoveled constant plot lines at you and yeah. You know, and, and it was a factory, right? They were making as much sausage as they could, as fast as they could, you know, to put us in front of advertising. Um, now, you know, things are, are different. I mean, we still have advertising. That's, you know, we're never going to get away from that, <laughs> especially uh, even us uh, on this podcast. Um, but yeah, I do. I think you're right. I, I agree with you. I think we're getting to a point where following Mad Men, Breaking Bad, you know, these kinds of uh, groundbreaking shows, 
quality is starting to sell and to make its mark. And hopefully the studios will get that, right? That, that we want quality. Right. As much as we want light, fluffy stuff and fun, entertaining stuff, at the same time, we want a good portion of our diet to be nutritious, right? I don't want to eat junk food all day long. I want to eat something that's actually good for me. Right. And there's a place for junk food, right? Like Absolutely. You can, you can enjoy reality TV. Yes. You can enjoy, you know, like a cartoon, but you don't need to only subsist on that kind of thing. Agreed. Agreed. And I think we got a very nutritious show this time around. I agree. Yeah. Well, let's get into some of the diners at this nutritious <laughs> meal. At the same dinner um, restaurant that they ate at every <laughs> single night. Some other podcasts were complaining about they're like, dear God, like, why are they eating? They go out. <laughs> You're in Sicily. Go to a <laughs> fine local restaurant. No, they just can't. Well, actually, I'll say this. I think that the town that they're in, Taramina, yeah. uh, is a real place where it is a small town. Yeah. And so there may not be as much stuff. Whereas if they were in Palermo, then mm. yeah, go out every night. Got it. Now that I've argued with you about a point that doesn't matter, <laughs> why don't we give a special thanks to Marta, our chief Italian correspondent, who really helped us out with a ton of stuff this season, you know, translated various songs into Italian every single week, gave us great takes, and one day we'll figure out how to translate Lorehound into Italian. <laughs> But Marta, it would not have been the same without you. So thank you from the both of us. Yeah, it was really great to have you um, write into us weekly. And uh, hopefully we'll see you around for uh, season three. And I'm sure you'll be sticking around for some of the other stuff that we're doing. But yeah, um, happy holidays to you and yours. And just a, just a big, big thank you from John and I, as, um, as he said. We're, we're really appreciative of you. Yeah, so um, last week, John, because we ran long on time, we did have to cut a couple of uh, emails from then, and we had Theo L. and uh, Kazia write in. Now, Theo wrote sort of predicting that Albi and his white socks might have been the floater, because uh, we had talked about sort of pasty white feet floating in the ocean, and so uh, Theo had theorized about that. And then Kazia M. had written in to say how we were surprised that we never men mentioned how Daphne brought up how evil Cameron's partners are, like Bernie Madoff evil, while they were in Nodo. And then Harper never brings that up to Ethan. And so there was kind of maybe a gap there of connectivity, of, of hmm. um, exposing Cameron's intentions. So I thought that was a good little pickup there that, you know, maybe that was a connect that didn't actually get made. Yeah, I think Bernie Madoff is kind of just the poster child of, like, bad financial actors. Yeah. So... I don't know how significant it was that she didn't bring it up to him because it's probably like, all right, well, he knows that Cameron is like a slimy yeah. finance guy. He doesn't need me to bring in an, a buzzword here. And Mike was seeding the entire plot with, I don't, I don't know that I would call them, you know, red, red herring. What do you call them? Like a false lead. Anyway, it, with false leads, he certainly gave us a lot in that kind of space. I, I don't know if he was intentionally trying to mislead us. If he was Hansel, he was just taking the breadcrumbs and throwing them in the air. <laughs> Very good. Uh, yes. Good analogy. Yeah. Just poof everywhere. Follow along as you'll please. Also from last week is Emily B, who wrote in and we had to bump her because we ran long on time. So here we go. Hello. Hello. I discovered your podcast when you covered the Rings of Power, and have now been following along for Iandor and the White Lotus. 
My two ideas for the White Lotus are that Bert will die from a brain bleed from his fall in the first episode. It's possible to have a brain bleed without symptoms for days after the initial head injury. That's interesting. Secondly, they have touched on many heavy themes this season. Human trafficking is one of those, I believe. The moment Jack dined and dashed for a meal, that was only dollars, according to Tanya later, I immediately thought of human trafficking, where it's common to withhold money and important documents so it's hard to leave. I do not believe that Jack is a willing sex worker juxtaposed with Lucia, who is doing that work voluntarily. Those are my two thoughts. Let's dive in here really quick and, and address her two thoughts before we finish up our email. It's interesting because, yeah, they he gave us a, a very obvious head wound for Bert, right? And it never really went anywhere. Yeah. So is that a red I think I thing? think that was just to signify the uh, uh, lead on the swan thing. Uh-huh. I think he was actually trying to lead into that and, and evoke that. Uh-huh. But then it was kind of weird that it didn't go anywhere. I actually was surprised that that one did nothing. Right. Um, what do you make of Jack and his uh, situation? I, I definitely think that there is some sort of indentured servitude situation there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And what happens to him now? I mean, yeah. Who has his documents even? Right. And how does he get back home? Does he have a home to go back to? I was actually reading something on Reddit about his tattoo uh-huh. signifying the neighborhood of London he was from. That is a very poor neighborhood. Interesting. And it's uh, it's because of the sports team, I believe. And I could be wrong. UK people, feel free to write in and correct me. I'm not going to read it because this is the last podcast for White Lotus. But uh, we can chat about it on the Discord. Yeah. I think, um, it, well, it's going to be interesting because Jack has a credit card and a car that are now in the name of a man who's been shot on a yacht. <laughs> right? Yeah. So like, yeah. that's going to get a little sticky for Jack. And, and if he can't leave... I'm sure he could get to the Italian mainland, and with the Schengen zone, he should be able to travel around Europe pretty freely. Uh, England's not part of the UK anymore. I mean, as of the EU anymore. Yeah, but the EU, the, the EU um, aspect and what's called the Schengen zone, that's, they're two different things. So there's oh. passportless travel between you know, countries that have signed the Schengen Accords, and then there's people who have joined the EU, which is a different sort of administrative body. Um, they're, they're two separate individual things. So I don't know if the UK is still Schengen zone or not. Interesting. But he could theoretically, you know, drive that car until he ran and, and use that credit card until he ran out of gas until they, or somebody got around to stopping payment on it. So, well, who knows? Who knows? I wonder if they will follow up on any of these threads in season three, because, you know, they did follow up with Tanya in season two. Could be that they put one of these people in the mix. I think we've got some other emails coming up about that. But let's finish off Emily's email here. So she goes on, those are my two thoughts. I also wanted to say that I too coincidentally had a brain bleed for which I underwent three separate brain surgeries. Wow. I had a complication that led me to be in the hospital a couple months ago. I was very nonverbal. So my husband played me your T-ROP coverage. Your podcast and Tolkien were a bright spot for me during a rather dark time. I wanted to say thank you. Best wishes, Emily. Can I cry now? You can. <laughs> I, I want to cry, too. That was very moving. Yeah. Emily, neither John nor I ever would have thought that our sort of, hey, let's do a podcast on Tolkien would have led to this particular circumstance. And I'm just so glad that we were able to provide you with some bright spots during a difficult time. And I'm so glad that you and your spouse were able to get through things. I'm glad that you had each other and, and 
I don't know, that's pretty, you know, I, I'm kind of speechless about like how we were a part of, of that. So I'm, I'm, we're glad that you're okay. And we're so glad that you uh, got some enjoyment from this silly lark that we, <laughs> that John and I have been on. Boy, this is the kind of email that makes you go, well, even if I'm tired, I should probably record this podcast. <laughs> it is very moving. Yeah. It is very moving. I, I, just so everybody knows, these don't go into a black hole. They actually like forward to our email addresses. And when I read this, it was at the end of like a very long day and I was just exhausted. And I think I had some editing to do. And I saw that and I was like, man, that just made it worth it. Yeah, absolutely. So Emily, um, happy holidays to you. Hope you have a great one. Thanks for your patronage and your listening. And we wish you all the best and a, and a very happy holidays. Yes, absolutely. All right. Next up, we've got Ken C who writes in about the theory that Greg might have been on the yacht the whole time. And then he's got some speculation about season three. He says, first, I wanted to thank you guys for covering the show. I love y'all's approach to podcasting and love the work that y'all do. Well, thank you, Ken. We are having a good time. Um, and we're glad to have you along. Second, concerning Greg being on the boat during Tanya's final scene, I really doubt that he would be anywhere near Italy at the time. Given the situation, he would need a bulletproof alibi to inherit any of Tanya's money. Being out of the country at the time would be really beneficial for his alibi. While it would have been great from a show perspective, it wouldn't make much sense in reality. I do feel like we were robbed of some great comedy if we could see Coolidge's delivery of a confrontation. Uh, totally agree with you on that. What do you think about that first part of his email? Yeah, I don't think Greg was on the boat. I don't know why he would be. Mm -hmm. It really doesn't make sense. A lot of states have uh, Slayer statutes, which say if you killed the person that you were supposed to inherit from, you get nothing now. Right. Oh, interesting. And then, and then, yeah, like you, you're probably going to get nothing if you kill a person to get an inheritance. Right. And to have a, the passport stamps showing that you were out of country makes a lot of logistical sense. But I think I'm with, with Ken here. Boy, I would have loved to see Greg step out or like when she's panicking in the stateroom there and trying to pull the gun out and like have him be like one of the people that she confronts or, or, sh you know, shoots you know, in, in her rampage, I would have, um, I would have enjoyed, there would have been a particular enjoyment that I would have gotten from that. I'm happy with the way it is, but I also could just see, could see that uh, alternate aspect. Yeah. Yeah. Although I'll say this, the White Lotus is great at not like spelling everything out. Yeah. And I do think that it was good enough. In fact, it was maybe even better to see her just go, is Greg having an affair? Right. I know you know. <laughs> I mean, just tells you everything you need to know about Tanya's head at that point. <laughs> She's so, right, like, it just cracks me up even more when you say it like that, so. Um, Ken goes on, third, I think Portia is uh, the best through character for season three. So this sort of tying into what you were saying uh, before. But then we'll have to see more of her outfits, Ken. <laughs> She's got quite a, quite a style. She would Quite a style, <laughs> says the Gen Xer. Um, it says the middle-aged American dad, right? <laughs> uh, she would give us a natural tie-in to the fallout of Tanya's death. The biggest hurdle for Portia is that she's not portrayed as wealthy, so maybe her relationship with Albie goes really well, and they go on a honeymoon at White Lotus Resort in season three. That's a very <laughs> interesting headcanon um, there. Uh, it'd be great uh, to tie in the DeGrasses as well, giving more of what we want to see. Albie in his socks. Having sex. 
Oh, Ken, I did not need that image in my head again. Once again, I really appreciate y'all covering the show. Look forward to 23 and the growth of y'all's podcast. Thank you, Ken. We really appreciate having you along. Thank you, Ken. And you've just put an idea into my head that that is not the sock idea, thankfully. (laughs) Which is, how great would it be if next season we had the White Lotus India and we basically just recreated the Darjeeling Limited with Albie at the center of it? Albie and Portia going to (laughs) self-actualization in India, (laughs) doing like the most white people things. Right, right. I could totally. Or Bali. What about Bali? That could be a good one. Bali. That would be fun. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like a lot of different settings would be really good for that kind of plot. Like having one of these characters from this season even interface with somebody like a Tibetan monk. Yeah. Would be so funny to me. Absolutely amazing. I think some of what has slipped out, not slipped out, planted, whatever, in some inter- in interviews and, and uh, wrap-up articles, that Mike White was dropping some hints about like mortality and death, uh, maybe something in um, a, a country in Asia, um, and you know, bringing some uh, different flavors in from that regard. So it'll be interesting to see where he goes. I mean, we could see Greg, right? You know, who's gotten the money. Maybe he's gotten into some more trouble. We certainly could see Portia, um, potentially. I think the, the DeGrassos and Harper and Ethan and, and Cameron and, and Daphne are probably, we won't see them again. But yeah, Greg and Portia make um, some potential through lines. I, I can see that. Either one of them or both would be fine with me. I don't want anybody else back. I think everybody else wrapped up perfectly. Yeah. But I would take Albie doing the Jar- Darjeeling Limited. That would be great. <laughs> All right. Next up, we have Matt E. who says... Uh, your internet points don't matter in the subject line. Wow. We're getting called out here. Yes, exactly. Matt's got a hot take. He says, okay, clickbait title aside. See, he's self-aware. Yeah. Okay, clickbait title aside. My critique of Mike White Lotus. <laughs> All right. All right, Matt. I hope that was an intention. And that wasn't just a uh, typographic error, but that was actually you being clever. He should just change his name now. <laughs> His name is now Mike, Mike White, White Lotus. Lotus. Perfect. Okay, so my critique of Mike White Lotus would be that it's not worth trying to figure out who dies or kills. And if you don't care who dies, then the show loses its hook a bit. At one point in the podcast, one of you seemed to factor in into your internet points whether Ethan or Harper or Albie could kill. In season one, Shane kills Armand by accident. Understanding his character was irrelevant in the end. It was somehow fitting, as they were rivals, but it was more accident than act. In season two, Tanya escapes and then actually dies, not by the mafia, but because she's clumsy. Ethan, Harper, or Albie could have done something that killed inadvertently via their actions that led to a jellyfish bite, a stray shard from a porcelain head, a car crash, chasing a fake pimp, or whatever. The show clearly wants water cooler talk, people rooting for theories, and you guys seeking internet points for deep insights. (laughs) Internet hounds. Internet point hounds. Every scene carries the added tension of, is this what leads to the murder? But if, in the end, the death is kind of random, then it's all a little disappointing. I don't think I could go another season caring much about who died. He already fooled me twice, shame on me. That said, I love the show all along. The characters, the arcs, the insights, and the relationships. The ending was perfect, but a sucker punch in a way. 
A million internet points apiece to both of you, <laughs> Matt. <laughs> thanks, Matt. There's a lot that Matt touches on here that's uh, really great. So thanks for your, your email, Matt. What do you think? Um, as a device, was the Who Dies uh, a effective device? Did it add something to the season? Did it detract? I think you're on record of saying you don't want to see that in, in season three, sort of in agreement with Matt here. Yeah, I think it's time to let it go for season three. Uh-huh. I think that we've done it twice here. It was it was well executed both times, so I'll forgive the repeat on season two. And I do think that it made us consider the motivations of characters differently, mm-hmm. just as Matt highlighted. And it led us to some fun discussions of internet points. And you know what? They don't matter, but they were fun anyway, Matt. So thanks for the million. <laughs> yeah, and you know, internet points are yeah, they're a fictitious bragging righty kind of thing that that we have fun with. But um, yeah, I think I. I think that Mike White Lotus there used the whole setup very effectively, uh, especially this season, because it could have really easily turned into a silly gimmick that didn't pay off. Um, A lesser show would not have been able to pull this off. And I think that what the the quote-unquote murder mystery, I'm just going to put quotes around that um, to refer to it, the murder mystery had us, as you point out, engaged, actively engaged, always looking for, is this the moment or is this a clue of who's going to die? And I think he threw a lot of breadcrumbs out there, right, to to not give us an easy path or a way to sort of solve the mystery. I think he all along wasn't constructing a mystery because he knew who it was that he was going to bump off and he had a very specific intent with, with taking Tanya out of the show. But I th- also think that what gave the show so much bite and so much attention, you know, got it garnered it so much attention this season was the fact that we did have the murder mystery. And, you know, there's a, I believe it was on the Fresh Air with Terry Gross podcast interview where he's like, you know, I've been working a long time in this business and I've had, you know, middling success. He was like, this thing has like taken off like a rocket and I had no idea, but it's great that he's getting this attention. Um, you know, I think he deserves it. And I don't think it would have got the attention without using the murder plot device as a hook for us to be engaged in the characters. It was like, he got us in the door, but then he really sold us with all of the quality of the relationships and the, and the quality of the characters. Exactly. I mean, I think that even just the conversation we've had this season is so much deeper than just who lives and dies. Right. It's what is Mike White trying to say about how we behave in different settings, in how we treat our partners, in how we treat relationships as transactional, whether literally, you know, fiscally or through emotions or through, uh, you know, different abilities. And I think that it is okay to have a hook that might be a little cheap to get you in the door to have those conversations, which is, is, I think, kind of a different way to say that the way you're saying already. Yeah. All right, David, why don't we take a quick break? And when we get back, we'll get some more listener feedback. And we're back. David, you want to get the next feedback going? Sure. Up next, we have Danielle H., uh, and she writes in with some long thoughts on Albie and Portia. 
Hey guys, first off, just want to say love the podcast. Thanks for all the great work you guys do. I really enjoyed your commentary throughout the season. Well, thank you, Danielle. That, that means a lot to us, as we have said. Um, we love getting the feedback, so keep it coming. As someone in their mid-20s, kind of in between Millennial and Gen Z, I've got a lot of thoughts about Albie and Portia. I really commend Mike's writing here because they're both very realistic characters for this age group, much more so than what I've seen portrayed in most other shows and movies. I went to a Stanford-level university, and I met so many guys that were basically carbon copies of Albie. Did they wear their socks? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> um, in the latest episode, you guys commented several times that Albie and Portia were being stupid with their decisions. I don't necessarily disagree with this observation, but I feel like there is a lot more behind what they're doing in the finale rather than just stupidity. I think they're both not used to being in romantic relationships and receiving the attention that they're getting from Lucia and Jack, and this ends up clouding their judgment. I think Portia is so enamored with the attention she's getting from Jack that she's not seeing red flags about him that she otherwise would have noticed, and that's why she continues to get in the car with him. Not because she's stupid. From episode one, we're told that Portia is looking for a Jack type of guy, and she's obviously frustrated when this isn't happening for the first half of the series. When she does finally get the dream guy, she doesn't want to believe their situation is anything short of perfect, until it becomes very painfully obvious. What do you think about the first part of um, Danielle's email here? Nah, they're stupid. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I think that when I say stupid, I don't just mean like they're bad with their intelligence. Mm -hmm. I think that I'm sort of lumping in they're inexperienced, they're lonely, so they have poor judgment. I think that they are just making bad decisions all around. Right. Now, are they stupid too? Yes, I think so. <laughs> I think so. They're okay. a little dumb. Yeah, Porsche's like got all these bad vibes and stuff. And rather than like running off or seeking some help or something like that, she, you know, she just sort of feels trapped and doesn't know what else to do. So she keeps going with Jack. I don't think it really twigs for her until she asks him like, yeah, I don't find your Instagram, you know, profile. And he's like, I don't have that stuff. And she's like, doing like, wait, wait a minute. What? Which like, why is that the thing? Because a lot of people are off social media now. And I don't know if that would really get me into red flag territory if someone said that to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've pretty much stopped posting on Facebook, on Instagram. i been watching the dumpster fire of Twitter. We've been using Twitter for ourselves a little bit for podcast promotion. I'm not even sure really how well it does for us in that regard. But I don't wonder if we're we're at a turning point with social media and how people are using it. Because yeah, you know, just looking at Instagram for the last couple of years, it's all the same stuff. I, I'm I'm not seeing anything new. I mean, the only thing that I'm really seeing new is on TikTok, which is like micro entertainment. It's like watching little 30 second, one minute television shows. It's like channel flipping. I mean, it's definitely ruining our brain, right? Like, oh, like totally. It's just it's killed absolutely reading. rotting every cell that we have. Absolutely, it's uh, I I it's really killed my reading, and uh, especially like today, you know, the last couple of days, I've been a little bit sick, so you know, like, oh, I need to lay down for a little bit, you know, little breaks between childcare, and boy, uh, TikTok is just the perfect little serotonin, you know, boost that you need. And then if you've got something comes up, you can just put it down and, and you're off and away again. You know, you haven't lost, you don't have to come out of a book or a show that you're watching. You can just instantly put it down. So 
Anyway, that's a little bit of a tangent on social media. We are not sponsored by TikTok, just we, to be clear. <laughs> we are not. I need um, it out of my life, actually. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to read more, so this is, uh, this is a good time. All right, Danielle carries on. Uh, pretty much the same dynamic plays out with Albi and Lucia. Albi comes across as a bit shy and nerdy from the start, and Lucia is out of his league. Adam DeMarco is obviously attractive, but I think this is how the character is supposed to read. Albi isn't used to getting attention from women like Lucia, and when he finally does get it, everything else goes out the window. Just like Portia, he's enjoying the attention, affection, and validation too much to see the situation clearly, and even starts compromising on his values. To the uh, sum of 50,000 euros. <laughs> of not his money. Let's no. just, I'm going to keep reiterating that. All it's right. not his money. Right. That was, it was, blood. well, yeah, you know, I'll be sold something for that money. Sold a word to his mother. Yeah. But yeah, I think you're right. I think uh, Albie is, got a lot of serotonin running through his brain right now. Uh, and he's enjoying the company of somebody he probably would not be able to date back in the United States. And um, yeah, it's good for his ego. It's good for his sense of self in, in many ways. This week on 90 Day Fiance. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I don't think it would have ended well, though, if she had come back to, to L.A. with him. That's for sure. No. All right. Danielle continues. It was a great decision to have Albie and Portia be in mirrored situations like this. And I love the way their plots played out, even if it was frustrating to watch them make stupid decisions. I've seen this exact same behavior in my peers countless times. I feel like a lot of my generation is desperate for validation and affection. And when people finally do get these things, they ignore the bad and even dangerous qualities of partners. I'm sure this phenomenon is not unique to young people, but it's more common in naive 20-somethings who don't have a lot of prior relationship experience. I'm sure it also doesn't help when your primary example of a romantic relationship, your parents, is unhealthy, like the case of Albie. Anyway, this got quite long, but I hope it makes it into the wrap-up episode. Well, it did. Looking forward to hearing from anyone else's thoughts, Danielle. Thank you, Danielle, for taking the time to write uh, such an excellent email. Uh, you make some good points. And I think, again, um, I, I can't speak to the lovelorn of the current generation. Um, John, you're a little closer. Do you have any insights into what folks are dealing with these days? I'm a little closer, but I've been in the same partnership for eight years, so... It's not helping that much. Um, I will say that my generation was raised on social media and quantifying likes and quantifying affection uh -huh. in a way that I don't think previous generations were. Interesting. And I think that the fact that when I was a teenager, people would post pictures with the intention of how many likes can I get uh -huh. really does something to your brain chemistry. Right. And I'm glad to see a move away from social media. However, it's kind of a move away from my generation's social media into this TikTok generation, which mm -hmm. is probably just as vain. So basically there's no answers. That's my, that's my point. I, I would say TikTok is a really different space um, because it is one to many, like you don't really follow in the same way and like, and, and so I think it is different. It's more like micro entertainment than it is like, social networking so maybe but there is this whole thing of like big personalities and like sure. who do i follow yeah, sure on tiktok i think it's more like did you see that or i saw this thing as opposed to 
like with Instagram or Facebook, you know, racking up the likes and and getting attention from people. Um, I mean, yeah, there's certainly racking up views, but I mean, a lot of that stuff is, I don't know, they're they're not influencer types; they're just regular people. I don't know who you follow on TikTok, but we're we're using two very different apps here. I don't follow anybody <laughs> on TikTok because I just scroll my for you page. And, uh, you know, the algorithm just gives me whatever. I get a lot of home improvement stuff because we just, you know, <laughs> moved into a new house. I get a lot of new parenting stuff. Oh, yeah. I have right? a two-year-old and a newborn. And Scary uh, how good the algorithm TikTok is. Knows. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. Also, I'm pretty sure that TikTok thinks I'm the pregnant woman. So, <laughs> you know, That's we'll awesome. see. That's cool. All right. You want to pick us up on the next uh, feedback? Yeah. So, Elisa from the Netherlands. Wow. We're says, all over. Yeah, we are. Lorehounds worldwide. That's right. Alisa writes in with some notes on parallels of the foursome to Albie's Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Hi, David and John. Hi, Alisa. This is my first time writing in. You have a fan from the Netherlands. Huzzah! And would like to begin by saying that I so enjoyed listening to your fun, interesting, and academic analysis of the Rings of Power that I watched both Andor and The White Lotus based on your recommendations. Uh, academic i don't know if we <laughs> qualify for that but i Thank appreciate yeah, the, uh, I'll take the it. designation i'm putting that on my resume i was not disappointed of course i looked forward to each week to your commentary which increased my enjoyment of all three series on to the white lotus thank you elisa i'm we're, we're glad that you joined us on on those other two shows that's very cool yes thank you elisa on to the white lotus they continue admittedly i haven't looked into it deeply However, I haven't seen, read, or heard any comments regarding parallels of the foursome to Edward Albee's play, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? It struck me early in the season, and I couldn't help thinking each time I watched an episode that there was a dynamic within the foursome reminiscent of foursome of the foursome within Albee's play. Like the protagonists, George and Martha in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, Cameron and Daphne use games within their marriage to connect and create intimacy. Further, these couples are old hands at game playing and use the unsuspecting new couple, in the case of White Lotus, Ethan and Harper, as pawns. Additionally, games played in both are similar and revolve around the same themes. Humiliation, touching on topics such as professional success and sexual prowess, and sexual fidelity. And although it's not exactly the same, one of the games played involves the subject of a child, or in the case of the White Lotus, children. Ultimately, the games are painful, exposed truths, and bring the couples closer, even if they are a bit broken by them. I haven't followed this comparison down to a scene-by-scene, but suspect one could find a few direct parallels such as the deathly conflict between the men and the viciousness of some of the dialogue. P.S. George and Martha couldn't have children. Was George infertile? Is Cameron perhaps infertile? And that's why he goes along with Daphne having other men's children. This could also be a part of her hold over him as he wants to project himself as the alpha and thus fertile male. What better way for her to have his balls (laughs) if she wanted? I'd be interested in hearing what you think of this theory and see if you have any merit in it. What do you think, David? Yeah, uh, I can't say that I'm intimately connected to Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Uh, I think maybe we did some scenes of it back in high school drama. I haven't seen it in years, but I like the analysis, and um, I like that you're taking a deeper cut into something like that. And I wish, I kind of wish we had gotten this earlier because I would have definitely looked into the um, 
looked into Albie's uh, play a little bit deeper to see if I could see those parallels too. But I really like that you're you're taking it to that level. I think that the question of Cameron's fertility is very on point. I think that is a very good question to be raising, especially like when we see that last look that Cameron gives in the mirror before he goes in to say hi to his quote unquote kids, that he's conflicted on this standpoint. The alpha male definitely he'd want to have children and, you know, you know, fulfill that part of his destiny as as such. Um, but if he couldn't and he knows that it's not his, whew, that is some really messed up stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that is very possible, especially like it seems like they have sex a lot. Yes. And I'm sure that if there are children to have plausible deniability, they had to have had unprotected sex a fair number of times. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. If she's not getting pregnant at all, but is successfully getting pregnant with someone else, it is very possible he's shooting blanks. Right. Yeah. <laughs> very probable. Very probable. So that's a good call. I appreciate it. Now I want to read Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and see how it holds up with this. So, yeah, maybe we'll get back to you in season three. Next up is Ashley W. from Richmond, Kentucky. She's got a thought on the season wrap that she's excited to share about Jack. She says, hello, David and John. I've been so thankful to have been able to listen to all of your season two White Lotus episodes. I love hearing y'all's theories and love the lore of it all. I seriously can't wait to explore season three with you guys. Well, awesome, Ashley. We're definitely happy to have you along with us for the ride. She continues, normally between the two of you, everything I notice and more always seems to be brought up. I thought I was very clever when I came up with this thought. We talked on Wednesday's episode about how weird it was that Jack left his phone behind when he went to the bathroom. Does anyone else think he maybe was doing this on purpose, giving Portia a chance to save Tanya? I think in the beginning, before Jack had met the girls, he was 100% in. I think Jack was cracking even before the really drunk night. After a day or two with Portia, he realizes that he and Tanya were good people, actually saw them as people. From then, he was spiraling and probably remembered that he had talked too much the night before. These two things combined, I think, made Jack feel guilty enough to try and let Portia stop it. Thanks again for all the great entertainment, Ashley. Ashley, that's a really good point. John, what do you think? I'm just realizing another unrealistic aspect of this phone thing, which is that Portia Jenzier memorized her boss's phone number. <laughs> that's too true. Right? That's too true. She would not have been able to do this without her phone. Yeah, right? Plus one, you know, whatever the area code is, international calling, etc. Yep, yep. No deal. Well, if she's a good PA, if she's a good PA, she might have that down. Is Portia a good PA? Question mark, question mark, question mark. I don't think so. Yeah. She literally can't follow the one instruction of avoid me when I ask you to avoid me. <laughs> Stay close. She is not a me. good PA. Right. Uh, I do like this take about Jack, though. Yeah. That when he's seeing the humanity of Tanya and Portia and his own humanity that he reveals to uh, Portia when he's uh, had a little bit too much to drink that night and talks about his own past and how he's sort of trapped by these circumstances and doing stuff that he doesn't want to do. I mean, it's fine for him to be sort of a, you know, for himself to be sort of a, a rent boy on retainer, to live this sort of parasitic, uh, ah, parasitic's not the right word, para, not parasocial either, but just sort of on the periphery of this very flamboyant lifestyle. He sort of gets some side benefits of it. Yeah. 
but at the same time he's trapped. But then as he sees, as he knows the plan and sees Tanya and Portia's humanity, he also feels the, his own, the trap, the way that he's trapped as well. And maybe he does give her an out. I, I'm, I'm thinking that that's not a bad idea. I do think that Jack had some remorse. Yeah. I don't know if the phone was part of that, though. I, I think he was okay with them sacrificing Tanya, just not Portia. Right. Because first of all, he doesn't really know Tanya that well, right? Like right. the whole time he's just been keeping Portia away from her. He hasn't really been spending time with Tanya. Eh, he's seen her peripherally. And the whole plot goes forward. And he's, you know, he's very loyal to Quentin, I think. Yeah. And the whole plot still goes forward as long as Tanya dies, even if Portia lives. Now, that does create a lot of complications, but Jack might not be thinking through everything. Yeah. I do think that the drop off near the airport rather than in Taramina was an important step for Jack to make up for his mistakes. Uh-huh. I don't know if the phone was on purpose, especially because he came back and kind of yelled at her for it. it. Yeah, I kind of snatched it out of yeah. my hands. Yeah. I'm not, so. I'm not sure about that. But I do like this idea of the remorseful Jack. Yeah, for sure. Okay, next up from the Discord server, regular participant, a Wookiee who is part of the riveting conversation in the White Lotus channel. <laughs> Awuki says, Also another aspect of the whole Tanya plot is Portia. She was meant to die in the end if the plan went according to plan, right? There's no way to get away with whatever they are planning if Portia is around to raise suspicion on that entire group they were with. So Jack really just saved her life by dumping her off at the airport. Yeah, a further continuation there. Um, he really did save her, uh, her life. Uh, and interesting, Tanya is, uh, not Tanya, Portia is really, well, there's the two guys that were still alive on the boat, Jack and Portia, who are all sort of witness or parts of the, of what would be a, a murder investigation here. And don't forget, back in Palermo, we have Matteo. Yeah, forgot about him. So he's around to testify. Yeah, I would say a good police detective should be able to roll this one up pretty well. Yeah. I don't know, though, because... I think the thing that complicates it is that Tanya, like, I think they could trace back that Tanya killed these people, right? Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. her prints are going to be on the gun. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they can piece together, like, okay, she slipped on this trying to escape. But yeah, maybe if she had that head wound from b- bouncing on the back of the boat, maybe they could, maybe. you know. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. But I, I do think that this was a really sloppy job. For sure. Yeah. They, uh, it wasn't very well thought out on the mafia standpoint. It wasn't. The gay mafia really needs to hire some consultants because, <laughs> I don't know, this wouldn't have flown in Goodfellas. No, they need to up their game for sure. All right. Our last uh, listener feedback is Ben from Melbourne. Um, he writes in with, not, hey, we're like, we're, we're like Antipodean here. We're European. Like, we've got it all covered. A lot going on. I think we need a private jet so that we can go see all our fans. Just don't track us, okay? Because we're right. going to have to ban you if you do that. <laughs> Sorry, that's a bad Twitter joke. That's going to be a very dated Twitter joke very soon here. Anyway, uh, Ben writes in with a non-White Lotus-related question. He says, hey, team, got a question that is not related, although I'm enjoying the coverage. He says, what was that ambient transition music that was used in the Rings of Power podcast? That music was awesome. Any chance that you could use it in all of your podcasts, it's ear candy. Thanks. Well, Ben, the reason that we don't use it in all the podcasts is that it's actually a theme from The Lord of the Rings. Uh, Back when I was going through whatever music we could use for our original podcast, I made the Second Age theme, which was the the thing that you hear at the beginning of our Rings of Power. 
stuff and that's based off of like the shire theme and the i forgot what the other theme is called but it's the it's the one where they're i think it's the fellowship theme right very this one yeah. yeah and then this one i think is the ring theme and i went with a really like dirty uh ableton live beat and then i went kind of i went kind of grungy with it you know i went kind of kind of trap with it is that is that what they say <laughs> i don't know i don't know <laughs> anyway i made i made it kind of funky right and that's what we used for that so it's actually a theme from the lord of the rings peter jackson movie so that's why we don't use it in all of our podcasts but you can get all our theme music on our patreon i'm actually about to update with a new post uh that includes our new mc universe theme yeah we liked the um theme that john made so much and again this is these are john's creations like you know he's taking the original melodies and running them through the synth. We agreed on the sort of that, that cool buzzy synth sound is that that's kind of our sound. And so every um, Lorehounds podcast will have some kind of music that sounds like that. And so like for the new MCU podcast that we just did, we used the MCU theme song. Um, we, John created uh, a theme song for just generic White Lotus, or not White Lotus, sorry, generic Lorehounds uh, shows, which you're, you're hearing on this one. So yeah, it's a cool thing that we kind of stumbled across, and uh, it's turned into something pretty cool. And yeah, it's part of the Patreon benefit package. At $5 or above, that one. Uh, right. Yeah, that's our middle tier gets the music. Get all the And the tones. top tier. Yeah. All right, David, quick hot take. Where is season three coming? Yeah, uh, I think, you know, Mike White, in some wrap-up interviews, had talked about it, and we mentioned it a little bit earlier, Some maybe some aspects of mortality and death. Maybe somewhere um, in Asia, uh, that would be a good place for one of these style resorts. I and you know we talked about Greg and Porsche potentially being through lines. I think the stakes the stakes were pretty high on on season two here. To you know, can he engage us in the same way? Deliver us something that's entertaining and insightful. He absolutely delivered on season two. In some ways, I think season three stakes are even going to be higher, right? It's like a high jumper, right? He's just set the bar for himself even higher. Is it going to be too gimmicky if we have too strong of a through line from season two? Are we going to have uh, as interesting characters and stories that we're going to be presented with? Um, so I think there's a lot uh, at stake here um, and a lot to question. But I feel like Mike White is on the top of his game, and wherever they decide and whatever whatever they deliver, I, I'm certainly going to be there for episode one. Yeah. Well, I'll be here with you. We'll be covering it, I think. Yeah. So, David, let's do some programming notes before we leave. Yeah. Real quick, over on the Bald Move Network, we're wrapping up our Christmas holiday celebrations. Uh, Jim and Aaron released the final special Christmas-themed podcast today. And the last one is always sort of a secret, you know, sort of a present that we get to unwrap just before the Christmas break. And it is uh, a Muppets Christmas Carol with Michael Caine. Uh, neither John or neither Jim nor Aaron had seen it before. And so they have a really good time talking about it. I was listening to it earlier today. It's a pretty hilarious podcast. Then we've got Maester Anthony continuing his Electric Bookaloo Clash of Kings read along on the Hot D uh, Bald Move feed. And then, John, what do we have left for the Lorehounds in December? We're coming down to the end of the year. So many things. Jim and Aaron poked fun on us uh, at us on yes. the, uh, <laughs> this week on Bald Move. They were like, wow, they're just doing a lot of stuff. So We crazy. Here we go. 
This past Monday, we put out MC Universe, which has you, David, yes. and your new co-host on that podcast, Jean, yep. who is not me. It's yes. not me with a French <laughs> accent. accent. Uh, it is a, a new podcaster. A new and, lorehounder. Uh, I've, it's a new lorehounder. And um, I listened to this because I edited it, and then I listened to it again because I liked it so much. And uh, I, I hope you'll all join us for that. I'm not a big MCU person, and it was still very interesting for me, so definitely check that out. Uh, we also have coming out Christmas Day, a Second Breakfast, which is usually our Patreon exclusive uh, monthly podcast where we take questions and uh, feedback and then we, you know, about anything. And then we talk about things that we're not covering, whether it's shows or movies or video games or books. And we just have a good time with it. But because it's Christmas, we're going to release that. And on that podcast, we're also doing our top 10 of the year. And I think that that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of good content. That was like an hour-long segment just in and of itself. <laughs> I know. I know. I, I got really nerdy with my calculation, how I'm calculating my scores and my spreadsheets and everything. I still don't know how you calculated it, but find out on Second Breakfast. Then on December 28th, we have a podcast on Tales of the Jedi, which is just a 90-minute series. It is a you know six-episode, 15 minutes each of various anthology Star Wars stories from the pre prequel era. Really fun series. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun talking about it. And we're going to take some Andor feedback that we missed uh, just after the season wrap. Then we're going to close out the year with Silmarillion Stories Episode 2, The Valaquenta, which kind of outlines the different Valar. Valaquenta, not Val Valaquenta. Quenta. Yeah, I've been throwing an N in there and I got chided for it, but hey. I know. But who, who'd you get chided from, though? Marilyn. Marilyn Arpukila, who is on that episode. We have a huge, long conversation with her, but she was like, say it with me, Valaquenta. <laughs> <laughs> she got a little professorial with it. I, I will take it. Uh, you know what? I, that, uh, uh, Marilyn's got a lot of cred on the street, so uh, if she yeah. says, David, say it this way, I'm going to say it that way. So yeah, the bulk of that episode is just an interview with Marilyn because there's not a lot of plot in the Valaquenta, but we had a lot of fun with it. We talked bigger themes of the creation of Tolkien's world and how he approached this system of deities. David, do you want to talk about what we're doing in January? Yeah, so we've been tracking a show on Netflix called Kaleidoscope, and it poses an interesting challenge. We're very keen. It's got Giancarlo Esposito as the main character. It's a heist revenge plot uh, storyline. And we're very keen on covering it, but we're not sure how we're going to cover it. Because the eight-episode story, there's not episode numbers. It's not a linear story. Um, each of the episodes is given a color, like gold, violet, you know, green, whatever the colors are. And then depending on your Netflix algorithm, Netflix is going to assign the episodes to you in a different order. Now, what we don't know and what we're assuming is, is that Netflix is, is going to drop them all at the same time, and they're just going to sequence them for you in a particular order so that if you, you can watch it linearly. Ideally, you would still then be able to jump out of that order and then watch it in the order that you want to watch it. So we kind of have to wait until it actually starts to know how we're going to cover it, because... How are you going to then go back if you watched one episode, you got to wait for us to catch up or we're way ahead of you. So ideally, we're going to get an order, either John's algorithm or my algorithm, and we're going to decide on an order. We'll publicize that, and then we'll run through 
two shows per podcast for the month of January. So we finish it all up in January. And then hopefully because we're, again, if they do release them all at once, then you'll be able to reorder your sequence to match ours to carry on. But that's our idea. Two episodes a week for the month of January so that we can um, have something fun to do in the new year. We're getting real weird with it in the new year. We are. Well, Netflix is getting real weird with it. And we're still waiting, waiting for Wheel of Time um, or hoping maybe in the spring. Um, I think we're definitely looking at Mandalorian on Disney Plus uh, for season three. Yeah, I think that's a lock now. Yeah. Uh, so join us in the new year uh, as and we finish up with our December. Yeah. And we've got other things cooking, too. We're not ready to announce them yet, but yeah. don't you worry. There is some stuff coming down the Lorehounds pipeline. That's right. Quick shout out to our Patreon Lore Masters of the Month. We have Michael G., Mark H., and Samarchan. Thank you so much for all your support. It really is incredible that anyone wants to support us at any price, but you guys are just doing the extra special tier that warms our hearts. Yeah, and thanks to all our Patreons for your guys' support. It really means the world to us. It helps us justify this the amount of time that we put into creating these podcasts uh, to our spouses. So um, really, thank you, everyone, for your support and for everyone who listens on the regular feeds. We don't care how you listen. As long as you're having a good time and you're on the journey with us, that's all good. Well, I hope you'll join us on the next podcast. We'll be back with Second Breakfast on Sunday. And until then, thanks for listening. The White Lotus Podcast is produced by the Lorehounds and published by Bald Moon. You can get ad-free and early versions of these episodes at patreon.com slash the Lorehounds. Connect with us on Twitter at the Lorehounds or by email at whitelotus at the Lorehounds.com. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities. Thanks for listening. A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline Podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series, The Acolyte, which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond. <laughs>